Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers 4DC. Welcome to The Echo Chamber. Uh, this is Arun Sudharman from The Homes Report. We're joined uh, today by Daniel Franklin, who is executive editor at The Economist. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hello, pleasure to be with you. Um, thanks for joining us. We're going to have a little chat, I think, uh, about the Cannes Lions, which is, of course, taking place next week. Um, the Economist now has a, a fairly sizable presence at Cannes, um, and you, you had these wake up to the Economist sessions. What was the thinking behind those for a hundred and fifty year old magazine, um, which I think made its debut uh, with these sessions at Cannes last year? Yeah, last year was our first time, and a uh, 173-year-old uh, magazine now, but, uh, but yes, uh, so we're even older. So it was a new thing for us to, to be at Cannes, and we were, we were testing the waters, and we had this idea of uh, daily sessions every morning, not too early, because people don't get up so early at Cannes, uh, but mm-hmm. starting, starting at uh, 10.30 and going through to 11.30, uh, called Wake Up with the Economist, and... Um, the idea was to give a, a sort of shot of, of stimulus to start the day and, and to do so with a panel of, of CMOs in a, in a rather relaxed beach setting. We had the uh, director's chairs up front and then the ocean, um, the Mediterranean behind us. So it's an unusual uh, and rather wonderful setting. And it did seem to work the trick of making our, our panelists and the audience very relaxed and, and have a very... Um, free-ranging conversation about really cutting-edge issues of, of marketing. Mm. I, I attended a couple last year. I thought they were excellent. I heard feedback from other people who really enjoyed them too. Obviously, you're doing them again this year. Is there anything you learned from year one that you're you're bringing into year two? Uh, well, there's a there's a generic thing that it it does help to get to catch um, really senior people. Um, in a in a relaxed mode, and then yeah, I think you you tend to get some insights which perhaps you don't get in a f- more formal speaker setting. So it was a it was a very uh, I, I think um, f- f- frank uh, set of discussions. I think we got some some great sort of uh, uh, insights perceptions um, just to sort of the, the ones that stick in my mind from uh, from last year, perhaps perhaps remember three of them if if you don't like the roller coaster don't be in marketing it, it's a particularly at this time i think it's a it's a very uh change fast changing world and marketing is often on the front line of that um there was a, a quote from um mark pritchard of png who's actually going to be back this year as well who, who said about you know what works what's creative he says does it make my spine tingle mm. uh and i thought that was you know that really rang true that if if you you know it when you when you feel it uh, in in a sense uh and then from uh, the cmo of mcdonald's if if you're safe you're dead so a sense that you've got to be bold um uh, if you don't if you're not bold you don't stand out from the crowd you don't get noticed in an increasingly cluttered media environment so that those were those are the sorts of insights that we i think we we got to start your morning with mm. uh, but then there were some more generic themes about um you know just how to use technology um, how data was playing into into the world of marketing in good ways and bad. Um, how, particularly with a lot of these are global companies we were talking to, how do you mix the uh, globally consistent message with local flavors and, and also tap into local talent? Some people said that actually their Chinese teams were among their most creative, which surprised me. Mm, indeed. Um, and looking ahead to this year, you, you've got another great lineup um, planned for next week. Are you allowed to to suggest which ones you think might be standouts? Uh, well, I think we, we've got two people who are returning who were with us last year as well. I mentioned Mark Pritchard, also mm. Jonathan Mildenhall, who was with who from Airbnb, who who was fantastic last year. So I'm sure because I've seen them in action that they will both be great. But you know, we've got some of the top companies, uh, senior marketers from the top companies in the world, like Johnson & Johnson, um, AT&T, PepsiCo, Anheuser-Busch, uh, Unilever. So um, I, I think uh, I can't 
I can't predict which ones will will fizz the most, but I'm sure they will all have pr- plenty plenty of pop to them. Mm. I've been reading some of the content in the Economist leading up to Can in your marketing unbound section, yeah. uh, and it seems like a recurring theme for for senior marketers is the ongoing uh, maybe struggle is too hard a word, but certainly the grapple with um, the advance of technology uh, in its many guises. Um, how well do you think senior marketers are doing when it comes to getting to grips and actually making technology work for them rather than threatening them? Uh, well, I think they're they're all without exception. Nobody I've talked to is sort of uh, in denial about it. I think it's mm. become a commonplace, as you say, that this is changing everybody's world. Um, but I think it's interesting. One of the themes of, of last year, which I think emerged quite strongly, is that the basics don't change. You know, technology can change, but the basic verities of marketing um for example you know know your customer be true to the brand if anything they become more important as you spread your message across um uh, multiple channels and and go into uh, uh, technolo- technological adventures that you're perhaps not so familiar with you 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 absolutely know need to know what you're doing um so that's one thing i think a sort of reminder that so much changes technolo- technologically but but some of the things, particularly the basics, don't change. Uh, and the second thing is that um, I think there is a, a danger, and this, again, was one of the things that came through last year, that um, you get you get people who don't understand the technology well enough making decisions about it. So that's particularly the case with data. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the points that Jonathan Milden Hall made last year was that um, you sometimes get uh, people who are uh, perhaps not the uh, not the most uh, talented not the best looking after the data and perhaps killing the creativity if you're not careful um, mm. that that can be a sort of sledgehammer that that uh, uh, that, that crushes creativity so mm. uh, the human factor doesn't disappear i think is the main point about technology humans get in the way of technology tech, of of creativity technology enables it if humans know how to use it and allow it to happen mm. I mean, on that point, do you feel that there's a risk that data analytics can hinder creativity? Uh, yes, I think if you, I mean, if you, <laughs> I'd go from my own um, uh, world of, of the media and producing, uh, you know, deciding on what to run in a, in a, in a newspaper or what to, what to put up on our website, data analytics are fantastically useful, really important, but you shouldn't let yourself be dictated by, uh, to buy buy them so you need mm. to use them carefully or you would never end up do, uh, doing the variety of things or the really original stuff that you uh, you might otherwise do so you would always end up doing the same thing that you knew had worked before and not uh, not perhaps uh, ending up rather um, putting off your your customers or in our case our readers by being too predictable mm. I mean how carefully uh, do you watch the uh, the traffic and the clicks um, on your articles? Um, well, I think we've got better at doing it and, and doing it well. So we do pay attention to it. We do monitor it more than we used to. We have much more effort on social media at The Economist over the past year or so. We've we've brought in a very uh, brilliant social media team who, and you can see the results. Mm. They, they, they really do make a difference. But at the same time, I think it's, it's very clearly understood that um, this is useful information, but it's not going to... Um, it's going to be an input, an important input often, into um, what we decide to do. It's not the only input. Mm, absolutely. Um, talking more broadly about CAN, uh, wh- is there anything more that you're looking forward to beyond the wake-up to the Economist sessions? What do you get out of the week? Uh, well, I, I last year was my first time, obviously. I found mm. it fascinating Um to see you get, first of all, just by walking around, even if you don't actually talk to anybody or do anything else, walking around, you get a, almost a, a physical sense of the media landscape. You mm. see how it's uh, evolving, which are the players that are planting their flag in a big way at that uh, in that environment. So, for example, you see... Um, the technology companies uh, moving in, muscling in in a very big way. The the Facebooks and the Googles, uh, uh, you know, very important mm-hmm. um, uh, 
players these days in the media landscape, and you f- physically see that uh, manifested in in Cannes. So that's one thing. Just just wandering around, you get you get a certain amount of cutting edge technology on display, which is which is interesting. A lot of vendors of different um, technologies mm. keen to present themselves. I find it always quite difficult to know which ones are going to be the ones that uh, cut through and uh, and and are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's it's often as in all these events, it's the it's the conversations, the chance conversations that happen that you uh, that you end up taking with you and being uh, the contacts you make, perhaps sometimes unexpectedly, that uh, that are important in any big gathering of an industry. That's what tends to happen. Mm, indeed. Well, I hope you have a good time. Before you go, um, it would be remiss of me, I think, to finish this conversation without asking for your views on a couple of looming political events. Uh, next week, of course, is the referendum in the UK about membership of the EU uh, and of course later in the year we have the US presidential election so first of all do you think we're heading for a Brexit? Well that's what the latest polls are suggesting uh, and the you know, there has been a, a very palpable swing in in recent days towards Brexit mm. um, and that's led to a certain amount of panic in the in the uh, financial markets, for example, mm-hmm. and among those uh, who who support remaining in the European Union, because it's the it's the outcome that leaves uh, uncertainty in its wake. You know, if we vote to stay in the European Union, then uh, life goes on pretty much as before. If you vote to leave, then there are all sorts of questions immediately pile in. Well, uh, when do we leave? What are the terms? How how who's who? Uh, takes part in this negotiation and what sort of spirit will it be held in and how will markets respond? Those sorts of questions pile in. Mm. So um, I think what we're about to see is both sides of this debate trying to desperately to make sure that the conversation sticks in onto the points where which they are stronger. So Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, those the, the vote leave campaign will want to keep the conversation about uh, immigration, which is where, where that explains, I think, this latest swing because that's what's been dominating the discussion in recent times. Um, they want it to stay on immigration and sovereignty. Uh, the the Remain campaign wants to steer it back to the economy, which is an argument they really, uh, I think, have largely won, but uh, but. Um, that's not what seems to be motivating people. People seem to have discounted that risk. So you, today, for example, you, you get uh, the Chancellor and the former Chancellor uh, talking about the, 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 the economic risks of, of leaving once again. So I think it will be right down to the wire and uh, very close. The Economist has been a strong supporter of um, remaining within the European Union mm-hmm. um, and uh, I must confess I'm surprised to see it so tight at this stage I thought it would be um, you know not not uh, not quite so close at this stage and if anything I thought the remain camp would be ahead by this stage but mm. that's obviously not the case and the I think what we've seen is the divisions within the Conservative Party uh, have being um, not a very edifying site during this campaign, and that's really damaged the the Remain campaign. Mm, interesting. And what's the Economist view on the rise of Donald Trump? Uh, that it's pretty much a disaster if he becomes president, mm. uh, and that uh, it, but it, but that the possibility of that happening is now very real and two way race. It's a it's a very evenly divided country and Donald Trump has, although he has a lot of um, uh, strong negative reactions to him, he also has an enormous appeal, a great mastery of the media and an opponent in Hillary Clinton who has big problems of her own in terms of um, her her approval ratings generally. Um, So I think, um, again, a bit like the Brexit um, campaign here. Donald Trump is tapping into something very real and has has a an all too realistic chance of becoming president. It wouldn't be my um, my likeliest bet at this stage, but really, it's a it's a it's a, a strong and I think rather worrying possibility. Mm. So two worrying possibilities there. Um, yes, let's hope for the best. 
Uh, well, they're both excellent marketers of their messages. So yes. if we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, knowing your customers and honing your message, I think you could do worse than look at Donald Trump as an example of uh, how to do it quite, quite effectively. Indeed. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Um, I hope I'll see you in Cannes next week. Thank you. Likewise. Joined on the Echo Chamber by Vicky Chowney from H&K Strategies. Vicky, welcome back. Thanks. It's I been love a ha- while. I know. I love being on this podcast. It's the fun one. Really? Yeah. Which totally. ones are not fun? Do you want? I, to- could, I couldn't name names. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. That would be fun, but um, maybe later. Yes. Maybe later. So let's talk about... Um, Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity taking yes. place next week. Are you excited? I am really excited. I think it's one of the the best conference programs in our industry. Yeah. Um, and I think after a kind of disappointing South by Southwest, oh, I, have, really? I have high hopes. Oh, okay, well, let's talk about that quickly before we okay. get to Cannes. Why were you disappointed by South by Southwest? I think that the programming just wasn't as strong as the previous year. They just mm-hmm. didn't have the gravitas of the, in the speakers that they selected. And um, I think they tried to be a bit too intellectual with it. Um, mm-hmm. And there wasn't as big a showing from any of the platforms or any of the big brands. So, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit disappointing this year. Yeah, no, I had heard that a lot of – there was there was definitely – a certain amount of pullback and wasn't as much engagement from from brands and agencies. Yeah, definitely. You mm. could tell. Oh, interesting. Okay. So back to Cannes. You mm-hmm. are there I think most of next week, most of the week. Yes. Although the, the yeah. week gets the majority. To, to call it a week at this point um, <laughs> is a little misleading. It's it's um well I suppose it is Saturday to Saturday, but uh it's it seems to be um a fairly long week because you have the main program, but then you also have healthcare and you have uh, innovation and entertainment. So there's a lot going on. Yes. Uh, what are you looking forward to? What is what is exciting you? So there are two new things this year that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. So there's the um, the entertainment lines, which you just referenced. Yep. But specifically for music. Right, um, yeah. And and that's a new element to the programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking to a friend of mine at Sony Music last week about mm. the fact that there is real excitement from the industry about this because mm. it's an opportunity for them to talk about creativity. The only thing mm. is that they've put it on at the end of the week, which classes, clashes with Glastonbury, which isn't great. Oh, is it? Is it at the end of the week, the, the yeah, entertainment so stuff? Okay. It starts on the Thursday, I think. Oh, I hadn't even, I had not realized that. Yeah, um, so later. Um, okay. So, But I'm excited to hear about that. You know, Can Lions always has a huge showing from artists and musicians, so it's, it makes sense to me that they would do a specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've also introduced a new category called the Digital Craft Lions. Yes. Which I think will be really cool because it's an opportunity for us to look at okay, how are people building things, either yeah. physical or online, with digital formats? So mm. I'm quite excited about that. Okay. And on the, en- on, on the entertainment side, is there, even if you're not going to be able to attend, are there any, any particular sessions or any artists that you think are worth keeping an eye out for? So I, um, I'll just reference the Sony session again, just yeah. because that that was where that was where that excitement comes from, which is mm-hmm. uh, Fred Bolzer at Sony Music, who's VP of Strategy there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing a session on asking whether music is the new advertising, so mm-hmm. which I think is quite a cool concept. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, it's interesting because I, I suspect part of the interest from the music industry in Cannes is is probably commercial as well right totally yeah so uh and with that in mind it it makes a lot of sense because Mm. uh you know artists now are are vehicles yeah as much as anything there's also will smith i mean Mm. will smith thoughts on will smith (laughs) 
Well, I like Will Smith a lot. I'm I mean, big... does anyone dislike Will Smith at this point? No, you know, he's yeah. like the most loved man in the world. But yeah. he is doing, he's in conversation with Richard Edelman, which is a tried and tested format that they do every year. I think he's um, actually, sorry to pull you I'm up. I'm sorry, he's not, he's, he's with Jackie. <laughs> he is, he? he's with Edelman Global Creative Chair Jackie Cooper. Yeah, which I think will be a really, really interesting conversation. Um, yeah. I Richard Edelman so. did it with Jamie uh, Oliver. Jamie Oliver last year, and Jamie Oliver was really fascinating. He was excellent. He was my highlight last yeah, year. Although, right. to be honest, I think that was the only session I went to. <laughs> um, any of the, <laughs> at the uh, any of the official sessions, anyway, which is one of the challenges, right? In Cannes, yeah. I mean, how much of a problem is that for you? I find that there's so much great content inside the um, in, inside the Palais, but uh, Cannes has become such a huge. Uh, destination for networking and for, and for so many fringe events that it's actually hard to to follow the official program. Yeah, and actually a lot of the uh, fringe events this year have actually become official events. Yeah, because so they have the Cannes Fringe now on the yeah. on the program. Yeah, so mm. you know that becomes bigger. Yeah. But also, you know, if you think about all of the investment from the likes of Twitter and Google and Facebook. Mm. Um, you know, there is a huge amount of programming just there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing a panel for Twitter mm. on on the morning that Will Smith is talking. Um, oh, right. So, okay. you know, that's a clash. That's a clash for me. But actually, from my perspective, it's probably more valuable for me to go and spend some time discussing what's going on with uh, the future of video on, mm. on the Twitter and Spotify beach than yeah. it is to go and listen to Will Smith, I'm really sad because I really want to see the Will Smith thing. But you know, it's those kind of clashes yeah. that are really difficult to then decide which is what you're going to get the most out of. It's true. I think the Will Smith session also clashes with the the PR Lions press conference. Yeah, which is <clears> a, <throat> a little unfortunate. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's always there's always going to be double booking. Mm, that's a real shame, mm. but. Um, yeah, and I, I, I just wonder um, whether there is any any kind of implications for, from that, from the fact that so many things do clash and people do end up perhaps not um, not benefiting from 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 maybe all of the great content that that's being put out there. Sure, I think the the one good thing though is that agents, I mean agencies at least. So I'll just talk from that perspective. Mm. Te do tend to send people out on force, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right. so actually, you can kind of divide and conquer, and then you get yes. the benefit of of coming coming back to the ranch and sharing what you've learned. So, yeah. and I think it's just one of those things you have to accept. There's going to be there's going to have there's going to be stuff that you miss. Mm. Otherwise, you you just have. FOMO the whole week and you don't actually enjoy anything. Yeah, that's true. You kind of have to get over the FOMO, I think. Yeah, totally. Can. I suppose you don't have much time to worry about these things as well. Yeah. Um, beyond uh, Will Smith, anyone else that, uh, <laughs> that you're, you're looking forward to um, or that you think will be worth keeping an eye out for? So I guess it's not a session, but I'm really mm. I'm pleased to see the return of the Young Lions program. Mm. Um, yes. So I think it's the third year that mm -hmm. they've, they've done it. Um, and for me, that's really important because it shows that there is a growing kind of sense of importance for PR within the Cannes program. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, that's a real positive. Yes. Um, yes, I agree. So that so I'm excited to hear about that, and I'm I'm also quite he excited to hear about uh, the Samsung stuff because they're marketer of the year. Um, yes, what what is their session? In fact, I think I may have missed that. <clears throat> I know they're marketer of the year, obviously, but I uh, I suspect their session is towards the end of the week. Yeah. So, uh, so I actually am not sure what yeah. Do it's they on. Have a session? <laughs> yeah, they'll have a session on the main stage. They so must do, right? similar to Heineken last year, talking about oh, here it is VR. Yeah, they've got two. Oh, it's, they've got two sessions. It looks like, and both on virtual reality. Yeah, which is it's, which is no surprise to me. And even though you know it's it's a it's a tiny bit done to death at the moment, the whole VR thing, but. Mm. 
I do, I do think that we're right on the cusp of people doing some really exciting stuff and it becoming a bit more mainstream. Yes. Um, so I'm particularly interested to hear about how Samsung are going to do that because they're, they're in prime position to make that happen. They are the handset manufacturer. Um, mm-hmm. so, so I'll be interested to hear their point of view because it feels like it will be more of a realistic session. Mm. And why do you think the VR thing is done to death? Because it feels like it's a, it's a big focus um, at Cannes this year, at least. I just think it's an industry thing. It's a, mm. um, you, you know, we're being, <clears throat> excuse me, we're talking about it so much. And it's one of the buzzwords of the moment that actually, I think the real, the creativity element is being lost a little bit um, because there's so much hype. So while we're just, you know, while it's a very young industry still, I mean, you know, years mm-hmm. old, three, four years old, um, we're, we're in that position where we're kind of ruining it <laughs> mm. because we as marketers and, and media are just looking inwards so much and over, kind of overselling it. But, you know, mm. that's, just, that's just my point. Perhaps, no, I, I actually um, agree with you, but I, I don't know, I sort of see that with, with various trends as they come and go. Um, yeah. They become, you know, fads within the industry and then, you know, QR codes, mm-hmm. <laughs> for exactly. example. Says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they were, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure we had sessions on those at, at one point. Um, so there yeah. Are- there are two other sessions that mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that I'll just reference. One is the Star Trek session. Okay. <laughs> yeah, which right. I think is going to be amazing because they have, um, they have the new cast, right? So they have Zachary uh, Quinto yeah. and Simon Pegg and all of that lot. Mm-hmm. But they're talking about the notion of retelling an iconic story for a new generation, which is the title of their session. Mm. Um, and I think that that will be fascinating because Simon Pegg as a storyteller is, is phenomenal. Like yes. The quality of um, the films that he produces are outstanding. So mm. I think that will be a really interesting discussion. Mm. Um, and then also Keith Weed is back. Um, Keith talking. Weed is always back. This He's is back. Like, <laughs> Keith Weed is there. <laughs> Keith Weed never went away. He is can. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. He's great, though. I must say, and he and he gets. I mean, he he puts in a lot of work at Can. He's on a lot of sessions. Yeah, um, and you know the you you go to a session, you've got sound bites for the next year. Um, yeah. So I'll be I'll be at his session and looking forward to what he is talking about this year. So he's mm. actually talking about a little bit of a different slant to mm-hmm. where he would normally go. Um, mm. So he's looking at like the emotional side of, um, of selling and talking about how to walk the line between the humans and technology, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, there's definitely a big focus on technology. I'm wary of saying it's, it's new because I suspect it's, it's always been uh, an issue. It can, although it's definitely become much more of a focus in the last few years. Mm. Um, but certainly uh, I was reading, and you know, the economists do, do very do their wake up with the CMO sessions, which I think are really good on, uh, on their beach. Mm. Um, and they, they run some content in advance. And a lot of it is about marketers getting to grips with technology. Uh, and that seems like it's um, more of a focus this year. I mean, is that something that you're seeing in your work? Sorry, more of a focus on... On just how senior marketers get to grips with technology and, and, and turn it into an opportunity rather than a threat. Yeah, I, and I, really, I think that's been happening probably since I started working um, mm, in the yeah. kind of digital space. I think there's always been a, a focus on education, mm-hmm. um, and not about. And, and while you know, back then, so ten years ago, it was about educating on the opportunity and why digital and tech was important. Now it's it's literally getting down into it and okay, how do I use it? What I need to understand the intricacies of how something works. So we've come quite far because it's gone from being something that senior marketers need to understand but don't need to know how it works and therefore it's almost, I don't know, they hold it away from from them a little bit and will hire a digital team to where we are now, which is, right, I need to sit down and get hands-on and work, work out and understand how this works so the mm. level of involvement has in, has grown quite substantially yeah 
Okay, both of those sessions are on the Wednesday morning, I think. Keith Weed yeah. and Star Trek. Yes. Um, the Daily Mail, of course, have a yacht, and it, last year it was huge. They had, you know, various um, Kardashians uh, on the yacht. Yeah, and, I do remember uh, that. I just seem to recall it was not an easy yacht to get onto, um, but it was apparently one of the, the places to be. But they also do, uh, you know, they, they, they have content. I think last year, in fact, they had um, an H&K session, or at least an SJR session. This year, in addition to a session with Piers Morgan, which is, of course, <laughs> eagerly anticipated, they are bringing out Katie Hopkins. <laughs> and um, It's just unbelievable. Yeah, so... It, um, for our non-UK listeners who maybe are not aware of Katie Hopkins, every now and then I get messages um, from, from friends of mine who don't live in the UK and it's just links to Katie Hopkins articles. <laughs> and, you know, they're just completely, they just don't understand what's going on. So how would you describe Katie Hopkins perhaps to, a, to <clears throat> you know, a, 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 so, an innocent bystander? So Katie Hopkins, as I recall, became famous originally because she was on a reality TV show. Was it The Apprentice? Yes, it was The Apprentice, yes. which is, um, you know, we the, the show that we actually stole from the States, which had Trump in it. But um, here it had... Uh, it had uh, Alan Sugar. Correct. Right. Um, and so she was on The Apprentice, and she was very controversial and extremely bigoted mm. uh, and, and quite racist, actually. What's not um, to love? Exactly. And now, and then she became famous by just being outrageously rude and, um, mm. and yeah, continuously controversial in the press. And then went on Big Brother and then mm -hmm. somehow has become famous. Well, she's it's a columnist now, isn't she? She has a column in the Mail. I think she had one in The Sun yeah, as well. Yeah, she, she's a regular, um, like on programs like uh, Loose Women, which is a, like a daytime chat show and stuff like that. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. So I was surprised to see the Daily Mail were bringing her out. Um, Me too. It's not really... I wouldn't say she is someone that fits in with the, you know, the can vibe. Um, it's very strange. She... Um, I actually mm. remember when... I think it was earlier this year when she saw that Kelly Brick was going to Cannes Film Festival. Mm -hmm. She took a swipe at Cannes and and was very derogatory about it, mm. which is there therefore a bit unusual that she would be coming back out to do the Festival of Creativity. Yeah, well, her panel. I'll I'll, I'll read you the names of the people who are on her panel, just in case you decide to attend. <laughs> um, someone called the Fat Jew. Oh, yes, um, I know the Fat Jew. Yeah, I've heard of the Fat Jew, but I, I must say I'm not, not, not fully up. Uh, Jonathan Chiban from apparently Keeping Up With The Kardashians. Uh, Gemma Collins from Celebrity Big Brother. Charlotte Crosby from uh, Geordie Shaw, one of the, uh, the classics of the genre. <laughs> uh, JJ Goodman, founder of the London Cocktail Club. And Alex Mitten from Made in Chelsea. Okay, I don't know who any of these people are. Um, so I actually know who most of those people are, sadly. <laughs> yeah, but you're a lot younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that is just a panel of reality TV stars, so it must just be a mm. a stunt based thing. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I think uh, yes, it's it's funny because it's it's rare that people talk about these panels in advance, and yet I've had two or three people who have said to me, "Are you aware of this session with uh, with Katie Hopkins?" Um, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, so that will be an interesting one to see what comes I, out I mean, of that I, one. So I definitely will go just out of morbid curiosity. Um, mm. okay. And I went, I went to the Kim Kardashian one last year and I, I couldn't get in because there were too many people who wanted to see her. Yeah. Um, and I watched it and it was so disappointing. I mean, mm. it was just awful. It was really badly moderated. And mm. I think that's the, that's the key to getting stuff mm. out of a celeb it needs to be well kind of hosted um mm. and that one was terrible so here's hoping that the katie hopkins one will be better is she mon is she hosting it i think she is yeah so, i think that would be so funny yeah well if you're going that's good because then you can re 
report back. I'll report back. I'll, uh, I'll look forward to hearing your views on that. Any tips for first timers? It's a question I get asked uh, a reasonable amount. This is, I think, your second year. Yes, it is. Uh, I think my my tips for first timers would be the same that they are for all conferences, mm. and it's don't try and tweet too much, take too many photos in real time, and mm. lose the actual benefit and the experience because you're too busy trying to write everything down. Mm -hmm. the, the great thing about Cannes is that if you've bought a conference pass, you get access to their archive. Mm. So you can always go back and re-watch a session, or mm -hmm. you can go online and look at the unique hashtag that gets created for each speaker. So you can, you're going to get access to notes and everything. Just spend the time actually listening to the person and enjoying the opportunity that you have to actually be there. I think that's my number one thing. Mm. Okay, good advice. And where do you get, where do you find in terms of, um, I mean, it, you know, there's all the, the kind of obvious locations um, where people congregate, but is, is there anywhere in particular that you think is, is a good place to be in terms of actually getting stuff done and, and being able to find interesting people and so on? So, so last year, I spent uh, a large portion of time in the Facebook and Google beach, mm. beach areas. Yeah, right. Largely because they're open to all, all um, pass holders. That's right, they are. Um, and you can go, go in, charge your phone, get mm -hmm. a drink, get something to eat. It's a really good meeting point for, for, to, to meet people that you're seeing out there. But yeah. also they put on their own programming. They do. Um, and so this year Twitter has teamed up with Spotify to have their own beach area as well. So those, uh, are, the, okay. yeah, those are the places where I think actually if you need just, you know, 10 minutes to yourself, those are the good places to go and just, you know, relax for a bit. But also to use as meeting points because they're so visible. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, I think that's a good, good place for me. Okay. Which parties should people not miss out on? I mean, this is, this is <laughs> proceeding on the assumption that, 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 they, that they would be able to secure invites, which yes. is, uh, as you know, another economy all on its own at yeah. Cannes. But which so that, ones are you looking forward to? So, um, Blipper. Do you remember Blipper? I, I, I remember Blipper. They actually, uh, I don't know if you, if you were there, but at our first Innovation Summit in London, um, Blipper was actually one of the... The Blipper CMO was actually on the speaker really? lineup. Yeah, yeah. So, so I do remember Blipper. So they're, they're, they are having a little bit of a comeback at the moment. Yeah, um, I've, I, I agree. I have seen <laughs> them coming, uh, yeah, uh, kind of popping up in various places. Yeah, and they are having a cocktail party on a yacht because, you know, can, um, yep. on, uh, on the Monday. I have actually been invited to that. So. Ah, well, I will see you there. I think that's going to be a fun one. Um, okay. Huge is sponsoring the Young Lions Party on the Monday evening, which yes. is the 20th. Yep. Then there's a, a WPP Stream and Google event on uh -huh. the 21st. Okay. And then on the Wednesday, there's the massive Twitter yeah. and Spotify party. Yeah, right. Um, sorry, is that with massive or is that, are you saying massive? No, as no, a, no, as it's massive as in it will be massive. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, okay. they, have some, they have some really good people playing on that one. And then yeah. the Vice one. So the Vice one is on the 23rd. But oh. unfortunately, I'll have gone home for that. Okay, well, you can give me your invite. I can. I can re-gift that. I'll just pretend I'm Vicky Chan. <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, all right, excellent. So I will, uh, I'm sure I will see you out there. Um, because one of the things I find in Cannes... Despite the fact that there's more than 10,000 people there, you do end up bumping into a lot of people um, that you kind of would like to bump into. Yeah. Uh, people that, that, that you, you know, you kind of need to see as well. So it's very sure. helpful in that respect. Um, yeah. I find. Excellent. So thank you so much, Vicky, as always. Thanks um, for having me. Have fun next week. Great. Have a good week. All right. Okay. We're joined now by... 
Lara O'Reilly, who's returning to the Echo Chamber, Global Advertising Editor from Business Insider. Lara, welcome back. Thank you very much. Great to have you. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of things, I think, today. First of all, this explosive ANA report. Um, we, we mentioned this, I think, in passing on our last podcast um, when we were talking in, in about media palooza. Is that, is that what we settled on? Yeah, yeah, the media tsunami if you work for WPP or the media palooza if right. you work anywhere else. So this ANA report came out uh, within the last couple of weeks. I wonder if you could perhaps just describe why it's so important. So the ANA report um, that came out last week was the result of an eight-month probe into the media agency and client relationship and um, transparency issues that appear to have arisen um, over the past couple of years. The ANA run a couple of surveys looking uh, with, with uh, Forrester looking at um, essentially what the breakdowns are um, in the client agency relationship, well, where the client feels they're perhaps um, not receiving uh, the, the, the best advice and also where perhaps you know, the, the agencies feel that the clients are um, pushing or squeezing them too hard. So uh, the thing that was interesting about the, um, the report's findings was the thing that everybody um, was kind of expecting it was this whole this whole idea of media agencies taking rebates. Um, mm. Now the US is, isn't meant to be a rebate market. Um, in certain markets, rebates is how you do business. In fact, uh, many mm. decades ago, you know that was that was the way in which you, you bought media. And in places yep. like uh, Brazil and China, China um, yeah, Thailand, Spain, yeah. right? These are these are huge rebate markets. In the UK, uh, there's a rebate market as well. It's not um, perhaps as openly discussed, but um, in you know, in some respects, there's there's still a, a a big rebate market over here. So, but the, the issue was that clients weren't necessarily aware that that um, some agencies are are taking rebates from media owners. The problem with rebates isn't necessarily that they exist. Um, mm. It's when agencies don't disclose them to clients, mm. and also when agencies are perhaps spending clients' money in the way that benefits the agency um, best, rather than where you know where, where it's best for the clients in their campaign, where they can reach their audience. Mm -hmm. um, so what the report found, now it didn't name any names, mm. um, which was one of the criticisms of the report, because it basically tars everybody with the same brush. Um, was that kind of rebates and other kind of non-transparent um, business practices were pervasive, um, was the word they used in the um, media buying ecosystem. Mm. And that's despite kind of several groups beforehand and after in response to this report coming out and saying they do not take rebates in the US. The issue being, if you're not going to name names, uh, it's hard to kind of um, disprove or prove uh, either side. Right, um, right. It's a I charge mean, without an actual target. Yeah, and uh, which, which some people thought um, perhaps lessened the impact hmm. of the report. Um, conversely, uh, for, for agencies, it, it could it could make the report a whole lot worse if, if you are a you know a, a transparent agency that that has uh, you know tipped up contracts that they they know that the client understands and they're and they're completely covered, and uh, if they disclose uh, the way in which they they their business models work, um, so the report was. I, I think the report did have impact because it it said the word pervasive, um, mm. and also because it, it outlined um, in in detail several types of business practices um, between or several types of contracts, several types of ways in which um, media agencies are making money um, that perhaps clients didn't know about or weren't aware enough of. So while there's no kind of smoking gun, and that's that's probably a good thing, uh, actually. Mm. Um, 
but what it did do is I, I think it, it, it just it gives clients now leverage to be able to go back to their agencies and say are you doing these things it gives clients leverage to say where in the contract am I protected um, from this kind of thing happening um, it, it just it, it improves knowledge uh, essentially um, there was a, there was a sense from some of the people that I was speaking to uh, ahead of the reports release that um, people in the US or, or marketers in the US didn't really give enough of a damn about media. Um, they, they were more focused on the kind of strategic, uh, creative side of marketing, um, which which certainly has its merit. But it is important to to make sure that you've you've got everything covered and you know the way in which your money's being being spent. Um, mm. Not least if you're a big advertiser that's spending. Um, you know, tens of millions up to you know billions of dollars in, in the US on media. It makes sense to know where that money is going and why. Right. Okay. So the ANA represents clients, right? It re represents marketers in, yeah, in yeah, the US. Right. And d does the report only focus on the US? Is that correct? It it only focuses really on the US. It, it mm. kind of um, it. You know, a lot of these deals are global. For example, you know, if you're working with a big mm. digital media owner, uh, again naming their names because they name their names, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of these contracts are global. The, the holding companies are global, so it's kind of implied uh, that you know some of this stuff is. Yeah, you know, a lot of these people look after global budgets, so you know it's it's implied that this. This kind of practice goes on outside the U.S. as well, but it was it was honing in on the U.S. market. That was the scope of the report. Because mm. I, I recall about actually about a decade ago, it was a big deal. I remember Interpublic had various issues concerning rebates in China, and and the idea and and the sense then was that this had all been dealt with, and you know there was no more rebates, and it wasn't something that that a publicly held company could get away with anymore. Um, what's your sense on on whether rebates? Kind of a is that actually the case, or are they still still common practice? So it's quite funny. I was talking to my editor here, um, mm. so, so Jim Edwards is the UK mm -hmm. editor of Business Insider. Um, before he joined Business Insider a few years ago, he used to work for Adweek, and before that, he was writing about uh, advertising for CVS. And he was mentioning that uh, the ANA released a similar report back in 2012. They, there, there was a lot of reporting in the kind of early 2000s about rebate yes. issues. Mm. Um, similarly, apparently his old boss back in the 1990s also won awards for writing about the, the rebate issue and volume discounts. So um, right. this is an issue that's not going away. Uh, it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of seems cyclical, I suppose. Mm. I think the, the difference this time is that uh, digital makes the, the ad buying ecosystem so much more complex, confusing, there's lots of black boxes, there's lots of acronyms, there's lots of things that marketers don't understand. Um, and the problem is when they don't understand, uh, there's, the, there's the potential for things to be hidden or convoluted in kind of black boxes. So I think that's the kind of that, that's the extra dimension of the report mm. this time round is right. that there's some extra players involved. Um, mm. I think also perhaps uh, I mean some people have been suggesting so um, the the CEO of the ANA um, Bob Leodis, this is probably his kind of um, his legacy project. Uh, I think there's the suggestions that he he might retire or, or leave at some point in the you know, in the next couple of years. Um, mm. So perhaps he kind of felt this time around it should have a little bit more more impact, hence why they brought in kind of outside investigation firms. So K2 is, uh, is a firm that was founded by the, uh, the Kroll family, uh, you know, former investigators. Right. Kind of this, like, very forensic um in investigation practice, and then they also hired a Bitcoin's firm, Decisions, which is the media auditor that uh, is made up of one of the few media auditors. It's made up of real media specialists, lots of people that used to work at advertising agencies, uh, mm. media agencies 
in the finance divisions, for example, so they, so they really know uh, what they're talking about kind of thing. They, they, they know where the, where the bodies are buried, so to speak. So I think that was the kind of impact of, of, of the report this time. Rather, there were a few things that, mm. that led to it being maybe bigger than last time. But then mm. again, um, the impact kind of remains to be seen. Mm. And you mentioned the, the the changes in terms of digital. Is this um, you know things like programmatic? Is that are those some of the the, the black boxes you were referring to? Uh, yeah, certainly. I, and I think just because there are, you know, there's there's more media owners now, um, mm. and there's also uh, some digital media owners. You know, they're working in a very competitive, highly competitive uh, market. That a lot of them are funded by. Uh, lots of VC money. They need to show very quick growth, um, and I guess uh, it's been suggested that some of those 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 companies, you know, will offer things like commissions and, and rebates in order to get there because they need to steal this business from the traditional players. Um, mm. So yeah, there's there's just mm. there's just new elements to it mm. now. Is a rebate? But, Sorry. Oh, sorry, I was, I was just going to say, but it, but it referred to all sorts of media. It was, you know, it was digital, print, out of home, television. It uh, wasn't right, um, just it, digital. There wasn't a particular focus on any particular type of media. Mm. Is a rebate not just a discount by another name? Uh, or it could be a kickback by another name. <laughs> it could be a bribe by another name. It depends yeah. which way you look at it. I mean. Mm. If, you know, the argument on the agency side, which I think is a good argument, is that, uh, you know, they, they've been under increased pricing pressure um, from uh, clients. You know, P&G, uh, one of the, the examples who have, who have uh, kind of, you know, they boasted in their earnings reports that they, and on their earnings calls, that they've been driving down agency fees yeah. and agency and costs related to advertising. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, these these companies have to to make a margin in order to stay in business, um, and they need so they need to be kind of uh, I'm not saying creative <laughs> in a kind of accounting sense, but they need to be uh, you know creative and nimble in in order to keep on making money in the, in the way that they uh, in the way you know, they, need, they need to keep on making money. So. The, the issue is, is not necessarily that a rebate exists. I think marketers would probably agree that as long as their money was being spe spent uh, with their best interests at heart, and that they could, and that the agency can prove that they're making a some sort of business return on that investment, um, then I, I'm sure that many marketers wouldn't actually mind that they're receiving a rebate uh, back from the, from the media owner, as long as they felt comfortable and they trusted entrusted their agency that their money was was being put in the right place for them. However, if they were being told to spend money with media owners that made you know have a media plan that made absolutely no sense when you looked at their audience and what they were trying to achieve, mm. or if they're being minded to pick, you know use Technology providers that are, um, you know, that are only being recommended because the holding company has a stake in them, or something, something along those lines. That that's where the issue lies. I don't think it's necessarily the rebate. As as I said, you know, the UK market has been a rebate market for some time, and, and mm. so have other markets, and they get along just fine. Thank you very much. Um, it's it's the transparency issue. It's mm. I think rebates are the kind of sexy thing that that brings all of this together and makes it easy for people, uh, to, you know, to write headlines, you know, myself included. You know, but I think ultimately it, it's about the breakdown in trust mm. between clients and their agencies, mm. and that's the that's the real issue at the heart of all of this. Mm. Which seems like a, a you know a fair. Um perhaps not an accusation but it's certainly you know if it's an issue it's a genuine one uh, and one that that probably needs attention why have the agencies been so uh, so defensive in their response um i think it goes back to what i was saying earlier the mm. fact that the report doesn't name any names mm. um kind of tars everybody with the same brush and implies that everybody's doing this Although I must say, um, 
you know, the, there wasn't an immediate impact on share prices, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of stayed pretty steady um, throughout, you know, minor little bumps that you always expect on a day-to-day basis. But um, I think also one of the things that, um, that, that WPP has pointed out, for example, um, they they were upset with the selection process for the uh, the, the research firms. It, uh, Martin Sorrell was saying at the uh, at the WPP AGM last week that uh, he wasn't happy that the selection board was made up of two members from Ubiquity, who then went then went went on to choose firm decisions. For example, I think. Uh, you know that very early on in the process, the ANA and the four A's, which represents uh, agencies in the US, had intended to work on this together, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of laughable, really. But um, they had intended to work on this together. There was a there was a breakdown in communication. There was a, and you know, that that ultimately didn't happen, and the the ANA went on its own path. Um, as I think others have pointed out, it it didn't. Uh, so Rob Norman, who's the chief digital officer mm-hmm. of Green which is the WPP buying uh, media buying agency, um, or media buying kind of group, the, the division, um, he said that it, you know, it, it, the, the report kind of seemed to only draw out the negative and not mention things like um, the fact that media media agencies make considerable investments in technology. So mm. uh, WPP, for example, acquired um, 24-7 Real Media, and it, and it now has Zaxis, and Zaxis has spent, uh, I think, like $50 million on technology investment. And this kind of comes at its own risk. Uh, mm. that it's not necessarily, that you know, this isn't just placing media, this is buying technology and trying to kind of sell that in on top. Mm. So. It's difficult to say, you know, when they make a markup on media, for example, how much of that was, you know, human capital and HR and all that, you know, all that, that, those kind of overheads. How much was technology? How much was was it to do with our relationship with the the media uh, owner? Mm. Um, I think also the other thing, uh, again, that media agencies weren't necessarily happy with is that. Um, there is a benefit to working with a big global media buying company. Um, you, you're going to get better rates if you work with you know, a Group M and you're a big advertiser than if you work with a kind of small independent that only really has relationships in one market. Um, so, and, and it's not just always price benefits because they've bought a load of media in advance. It's you know, they've got relationships, they get first look at new ad products, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so I think, I mean, it's, you know, it's obvious, I think, why, why agencies are unhappy with it, because it, it, it makes them look as though they're having their profits with their clients' money in a way that they shouldn't be, and that's not fair. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it perhaps wasn't as balanced as they, they would have liked it to be. It was, it was kind of, here's all the terrible things that are going on, which was kind of what the report was intended to do, right? But um, yeah, it's, it, it, it certainly isn't good for their reputations right now. Hmm. What happens next? Um, so we're still waiting for the Ubiquity Firm Decisions report to come out. So that report is, so the first, so K2 was kind of outlining, here's all the terrible things. Hmm. Um, and the ubiquity report is meant to be a set of recommendations for marketers, so that's that's what they're meant to to do next. It's it's likely um, that so, so basically the ANA in, in the interim said to its members, what you should probably do now is have a look at your contracts, make sure you're comfortable with them, uh, you know, discuss the terms and conditions with your agency. Um, and then, you know, just have a frank and open discussion about whether you're happy about the relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of the easy stuff. Um, I mean, the, there's, there's a whole host of other scenarios that could happen. Um, 
it, there are some suggestions that it could lead to a uh, media palooza round two. Mm, so it'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> fun. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the right word. It would be, you know, costly and timely, and mm. um, and I'm not sure what the real outcome of that would be. So, that, so one suggestion is that more people, more agency, uh, sorry, more clients might bring media in house. That might happen on a couple of occasions, but I think. There's not enough media experts and clients at the moment. Uh, or they might move to independent agencies that, that kind of trade on transparency as their differentiator. Mm. Um, there could be you know, a whole round of audits that happen, mm-hmm. which again is timely and costly, um, time, sorry, time intensive and costly. Mm. Uh, you know, moving down the more... Um, yeah, the, the negative scale. There's, you know, a small possibility that maybe if a if a client through the auditing process uh, found something uh, that was not to their taste, they could sue. Uh, yeah. well, not not to their taste, but you know, if they found something mm. that breached the contract or um, was you know, potential fraud. Mm. Probably unlikely because uh, in in. You know, US, you have this, this wonderful legal procedure called Discovery where you know, every email and everything is, oh, is, wow. is up for show. And that, you know, that, that might show kind of negligence on the client's part. Um, mm. And, you know, it, you know, again, it's just a thing that takes a, a long time. It, 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 you know, it thrusts your company into the spotlight and could potentially make a, a CMO because they, they're not good at making decisions or you know, the finance department. Like they weren't hard enough on the CEO or the procurement department, uh, CMO, sorry, or the procurement department. Mm. There's, I mean, there's, there's a whole host of other things. That, you know, there's whistleblowers, there's a potential for more whistleblowers to come out. Um, like John Mandel, who was the former CEO of Mediacom, mm. did um, last year. There's, I mean, so some people have already come to us, for example, but only want to speak on an, on an anonymous basis because. Uh, they're afraid of, uh, yeah, the the, mm. the, the, <laughs> yeah, the possible repercussions of uh, throwing an agency um, under the bus, and you know, agencies with with big legal teams, and mm. it's it's kind of difficult to prove. Um, even if you kind of have contracts, it's you know, it's difficult to prove. It's a lengthy legal process, and yeah, that, that's hard. The I mean, the, the other possibility is that. Um, Maybe a senator could could take hold of this issue, uh, yeah. and if it was found that, say, a government account was being ripped off by an agency, or you know, uh, famously a few years ago, the U.S. Army account was um, was found to have been overbilled, and uh, people got in a lot of trouble for that. So that you know, that could move things onwards a little bit. Mm. Um, I think it's it's. So that's all the potential scenarios that I can think of, and there's probably a few more. The, the other scenario is that, to be honest, not a lot happened. It right. wasn't, while the report was explosive in that it outlined um, activities that are clearly uh, non-transparent and mm-hmm. kind of sketchy, because there wasn't any... They seem like kind of... Uh, in the report, they, they're called pervasive, but then it's kind of some of the examples seem like isolated issues. So the, the other thing could just be that not a lot really happens, but clients just have uh, you, you know some frank conversations with uh, agencies using this report as kind of leverage and, and uh, we all kind of move on. Mm. I, I really don't know which, which path it's, it's going to take. Yeah. I've not got any sense as to where this goes next. Mm. Um, but in the meantime, the agencies are extremely unhappy with the ANA for releasing this report. Um, I think if they, you know, they tried to, you know, force legal action upon the ANA, I think that would that would be a kind of silly <laughs> move from a PR perspective. But mm. hey, you know, you know uh, strange things have happened at sea. So mm. that, you know, that that could be one possibility. I, I can't see that it's caused any 
at least, you know, once it's been a week or so since its publication, I haven't seen that it's caused any massive damage mm. yet. But, um, yeah, mm. these things take some time. I don't know to I take no glee in this. This isn't this isn't a nice issue. This is um, mm. an, you know, an industry where there's a clear breakdown of trust and that's ugly and, yeah. and it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you know, publications like mine, you know, you should when you're entering yeah, relationships are based on trust. You know, normal mm-hmm. relationships between uh, human beings are based on trust, and usually in a relationship, or you know, when, when that trust breaks down, is when they break up. So mm. it would be nice to not see that happen, and it would be nice for uh, everybody just to have a few more frank conversations, put everything on the table, and then move on. Mm. Well, would be definitely something um, that we can we can return to once things perhaps become clearer. I imagine it will be a topic of conversation at Cannes next week um, and while I've got you I should probably ask you how excited are you about your uh, your Cannes excursion I imagine your schedule is is quite crazy yeah the schedule's pretty packed I'm only going from Sunday to Thursday this year which seemed like a really good idea ahead of time and yeah. now I'm struggling to fit everything in yeah I've done um, that before and I always regret it yeah, it, it's it's always good to have a couple of days either mm. side, I think, just to kind of uh, wind down from the madness. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about Cam. It's uh, you yeah, know, it's a really fun trip. It's a beautiful place. There's it's it's great to get everybody in the same place. When I say everybody, that's you know, agency side. There's lots of marketers there. There's mm-hmm. all the interesting media owners. There's the ad tech guys. And there's a bunch of celebrities who I'm quite excited to be interviewed because um, it's not usually my beat, so that's, mm. that's going to be quite interesting. Okay, who are you most um, excited about interviewing? Um, so I'm most excited about seeing uh, Iggy Pop. Ah, so, okay. so Grey Advertising and hosting a session with, with mm. Iggy. And uh, he's, you know, he's one of the... Last remaining rock and roll icons left, so that would be um, fascinating. You know, I'm quite surprised they managed to drag him over to uh, an advertising festival. So keen to keen to find out how he's he's going to play that one. Mm. Um, you know, the, the Daily Mail yacht is always um, mm. a, you know one of one of the highlights in terms of celebrity spotting. They're doing their big party again this year. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, News Corp have got take that on, on their yacht. Yeah, News Corp um, have got a rival yacht, don't they? Yeah, this year. yeah, and they're both just you know massive and uh, opulent. It's yeah, it's it, there's there's lots going on. It's it, you know it is a bit of a kind of uh, willy waving contest, if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> as to you know who can, who can get the the best people and throw the best party, and uh, I'm not sure how much money that people throw at the wall. Of this thing actually sticks, but it's mm. it, it's an interesting event, and there's there's lots of people there. I'm going to be spending most of my time just doing lots of interviews, yep. and we're doing some fun Facebook live video coverage, which will be mm. uh, which will be interesting. Uh, great to do it on such a good location. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you're right. I think the ANA investigation might well be a topic of conversation. I think less so on the stage because. Mm. Uh, the festival, yeah, as it's called the the you know, the Kansai Festival of Creativity. It's it's it will be, I assume, more more on that side of things. But I'm sure on the Carlton Terrace, it will be, it will be brought up. I'm sure mm. there'll be lots of stories about it. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers for DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. 